Whoops. All right, beloved, today, today is the church's New Year's Eve of sorts. Across all the dominations all around the world, today is the final Sunday of the Christian year. Because whether we are ready for it or not, and I, I got to look at Nick for this too, whether you're ready for it or not, Advent is coming. Jesus, the baby, is coming. The Christian year begins with the anxious awaiting of the birth of a baby in which we believe God is born among us. The church year culminates today as we celebrate how that one who was born among us, how that same child is also celebrated as the universal Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's the person, it's the Christ that holds, as Colossians affirmed, all things together since before time and after we understand time. Now, whereas Colossians paints this beautiful picture of the person who, of who Jesus is, and today's text is, is portraying how everyday people related to and responded to Jesus and responded to whom the Apostle Paul referred to as the King of Light. Our preaching text this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, Luke 23, verses 33 to 43. As you listen to the Word of the Lord, I encourage you to pay particular attention to the various characters within the story itself, and listen to the ten verbs that are being used to describe what is going on within the, within the story itself. Because what we're going to do this morning is we are going to get an understanding of the character of who this king is that we serve, and who are the subjects that are under him. Listen to the word of the Lord, Luke 23, beginning with verse 33. Now, when they came to the place called the cranium, literally the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, Oh, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was even an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and kept saying, Now, if, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then the criminal turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kelly's mother Jane would often accompany us on vacation to the beach, and every time she went, she brought this giant box full of puzzles. She loved to do puzzles, and she would bring this huge puzzle to work on throughout the entire week, and she would find the biggest area, usually the kitchen table, and take it over and dump this entire box of puzzle on it, and she would immediately begin flipping the tiles over so they're face up, and then she would start moving them around, looking for the edges, all the straight edges, to see where they go along the sides. See, she, had a, she had a schema. She was going to work from the outside in. If she could get the edges down, she was confident that she could continue moving in from the edges to the center and get it all right. Well, friends, that's what we're doing this morning with our Scripture. We're laying the pieces out. We're spreading them out. And what we want to do is... The pieces are going to provide us with an understanding of Jesus as Christ the King, as well as who are the people who compose and comprise His kingdom. Now, all of us love Jesus the Savior. We love to be saved. We love Easter. Save me, Jesus. It's all about what I can get out of it. Well, today is about the Christ. Christ the King, and we're to discover what He wants out of it. As we place the pieces out, as we scatter them across the table, let's first look at actually who is in the story. Who is in our story today? There's this anonymous collective group called they. Who are they? We don't know. But they're also called those people. And we can only surmise that these are the folks who are comprising the crowd that have been caught up in everything. Jesus also mentions, Jesus is mentioned along with two criminals, and the word used for criminals there are literally, it's, they're, they're described as evil people. You know, not just, you know, they, they held up a 7-Eleven, but they, these, these were evil people. And then we hear about the leaders. We don't know what leaders they are. My guess is they were probably social leaders, religious leaders. And then we had the Roman soldiers mentioned. But there is one other character that's present in our story that we often fail to notice. Did you pick it up? Did you see who the character is? You see, the other character in our story is Luke. Is Luke, the author. 
from whose vantage point you and I are allowed into the story. Through Luke's eyes, we are present as well. So, as to what is happening during this scene that we have, we are presented with various actions and responses from all those people. Nine explicit responses and one implicit one. We observe everything from crucifying, dividing, forgiving, watching, scoffing, mocking, deriding, rebuking, remembering, promising. That's packed. The longer I sat with today's scripture, the more, the more I began to realize it really describes the same people who comprise our world today. It really does. And I pushed that a little bit further. It not only describes people in the world today, but since the church, church, since we are a microcosm of the larger world, these are characters within the church's community as well. Hmm. It's true. The same people in the first century who were swept up, coming down from Galilee, down along the Jordan River, through Jericho, up the hill to Jerusalem, celebrating Jesus as the Messiah, are the same ones standing there at the place called the Cranium, the Skull, watching Him get crucified. Wow. The sad reality is, the sad reality is, as though who openly crucify, watch, deride, scoff, divide Jesus are next to us in this room. Not just this church, any church. Sad, but true, because the church is a microcosm of the larger world. At one extreme, we have those people who want to crucify Jesus all over again when they don't take the call seriously. His call to love our neighbor as God has loved us. We crucify Jesus again and again when we openly oppress and take advantage of others. We crucify Him again. My beloved, when we are told through the Scriptures and through the history of the Christian church that when we fail to pick up our own crosses, we are lifting Jesus back up onto His. Then there are those characters in the scene who are actively dividing things up. I've seen that. In churches all my career. You have too. There are those in churches in the faith community who are actively trying to divide the community in order to gain what they can get out of it. The dividers see Jesus as a means to an end for attaining the power or influence they need and they crave and they want in order to push their agendas and leverage their, their, their position for, for what they want. You've seen those in the church, haven't you? 
The other large group that I've that was in this scene in the scripture, but is also present in the world today within the worldwide church are those who stand back and they quietly watch how things will pan out. They just sit back, watch how things will work out while others in the community are doing all the heavy lifting and work. They're just going to observe. Those who stand back and watch are those religious consumers in our world who want the benefits of the faith, of the church, but are waiting for others to feed them, to entertain them, to pay their way for them, and to provide experiences for them. But alas, there's not only that great group just standing around watching, we have, just like in, 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 the, in the Scriptures, we have people who are scoffers. When was the last time you used the word scoff? I scoff at you. I mean, really. It, it's, it's an old word. Um, a scoffer... A scoffer is someone who shows his or her contempt and total disregard for others by putting them down. Scoffers are filled with hubris, pride. They know better. And they're going to let you know it. When we scoff somebody, it means to treat someone or something with contemptuous disregard. It means to openly flout the rules to do it my way. Because your way is obviously not as good. I've worked in the church and I've seen many and openly scoffing senior pastors who did things that rolled over members of their staff or members of their church just to get their way. I've seen lay leaders who have disregarded their church's polity and rules and will make things up on their own on the fly because their own rules in their mind are better than what the church knows worldwide. And they do all of this because they want to attain their ends, their personal ends. Scoffers. But there in the first century, as well as today, through the Church International, we too have our share of mockers. We have mockers in the church. And these are the most disagreeable people who openly criticize others in the church for trying out new ideas, new ministries, new ways of trying to reach people for Christ. Mockers like things done their way, typically the old tried-and-true way. And they will fight to maintain the status quo within that congregation or faith community. Mockers are the keepers of the slogan, we've never done it that way before. And mockers grumble about all these crazy things this new pastor wants to do. Who is this person? Who's this woman that wants to do this kind of ministry with those kind of people? And they gather in the parking lots, 
light their cigarettes, smoke them, stomp them, and grumble and mock. And just as one criminal in the story who derided Jesus on the cross, believe it or not, beloved, there are those in the faith community who deride other Christians or other churches. The word itself is, the word deride is derived from the same root word we get the word blasphemous. Blasphemous, to blaspheme. A person who blasphemes is one who gives voice to irreverent thoughts and opinions about something or someone else. The sound of blaspheming one another in the church is when we hear one group of the church criticizing others in the faith community for holding different beliefs or interpretations than they have with respect to biblical, theological, or political views. So we call them names. We call them out and put them in their own tribe. We label them. Rebuking is also evident in churches today, just like it was in the first century. Rebuking others is, on one hand, you have this group rebuking others in the church who openly censure others for standing up and doing the right thing. But then, on the other hand, you have these gentle rebukers who are trying to do the right thing, but they're being shouted down as their boundaries are being overrun by those who have their own agenda for those, by those who disagree with them. As a seasoned old army chaplain often said to me, Preacher, the church is the only place I know where they shoot their wounded. Ouch. We love to rebuke one another. Crucifying, dividing, standing around, watching, scoffing, mocking, deriding, and rebuking, yes. Yes. These are the people who make up the kingdom of God. These are the people that God has to work with. People like you, like me. Now, why would people, do we, do we understand why people might take pause in joining the church and becoming a part of a church community in their community? I mean, with all the negative possibility and energy that we've just heard about people out in the world who are also within the church, which is a microcosm of the world, why would I want to join something like that? Well, because you're one of them. You're one of us. It's a fair question to ask as we watch church membership and attendance and participation decline internationally. And just as it seems so dark and hopeless as it did there at the cranium, at the skull, with Jesus' crucifixion, as dark as it was then, there was a glimmer 
of promise and hope from the, from the king of light. So yes, we have these seven negatives, but then we, at the very, the very end, we have to pause and remember the three verbs that describe what Jesus is doing. Forgiving, remembering, promising. So in the midst of all that deriding, crucifying, mockering, mocking, scoffing, deriding, rebuking, all that stuff, there is Jesus on the cross forgiving, remembering, promising. Jesus is forgiving of those who are crucifying Him. For those who are dividing what's partly uh, paltry earthly possessions that He has. Mocking Him. Deriding Him. And what does Jesus do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The nail goes in His wrist. Even as those spikes were being driven in, Jesus was forgiving those people. Ooh. He is forgiving them as they swing the hammer down. Jesus is remembering those who are suffering and who are persecuted even on the cross, He is mindful of the men on His right and His left. He's mindful of the religious rulers yelling at Him. The Roman soldiers who are hurting Him. And He does not counter their derision with more derision. Their hate with more hate. On the contrary, Jesus remembers them. He forgives them. He prays for them. He's the king of light toward them, even though they represent darkness. And finally, Jesus is making promises to the criminal on the cross, to you and me. Today, truly beloved, today, You are going to be with me in paradise. Beloved, the world treats each other in one particular way. Jesus, the, the very Christ of God, relates to all of us in a totally different, reconciling, redeeming way. Who is this king that we celebrate the reign of? This Lord of Lords, this King of Kings. Who is this king who lavishly grants us forgiveness? He remembers and keeps us close to his heart and his mind, and he promises us abundant life, yea, even today. Who is this king? It's Jesus, the Christ, 
And in the world of darkness, this king in his reign brings the light of forgiveness, remembering, and what? Promise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so be it. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for today, for the rain that nourishes our soul, nourishes your earth. Holy Spirit, help us to see where we are in that cast of characters that are in the story. Lord, help us to humble ourselves and place our lives before you. And Lord, may we each in our times of darkness feel the light from the King of light as you offer forgiveness, as you remember us in your heart, and as you promise us abundant life. So be it. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing hymn.